and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. You know, on a, a real serious note, because when me and Steve are talking with each other, no one around ever knows that we're actually being serious. Um, by the way, there is something true, Steve. When you're in a place and you observe it a lot, you tend to be like it. So thank you for wearing a jacket that matches the purple drapes. No, on a serious note. See, this happens too much. It just, this is, but it's because of that that there's this realness that takes place that he will challenge me in areas and I won't tell him that it did, okay? You, you don't want to give in that this actually happened. But what blesses me is that doesn't, he doesn't change. And it's almost more you're probing to see where his change is, and it doesn't. And that it's such a richness and blessing. So in, in all of our joking, Steve, um, I still like your jacket. No, you're, you're awesome. And uh, I, I appreciate you letting me come and speak, and you welcome me here as family. And you don't have to do that, and you do. And um, how you guys take care of us just really is awesome. You, to have a church, church family that, I mean, I don't know if you realize, but Steve and Kay and this church has been committed to being behind us for almost 11 years, right? 11 years as a church. Never once, when, when you hear of someone says, I'm gonna hold the rope, you guys have held the rope. Like there was just not a question whether the rope was being held. And I remember times you guys were going through some you know, you've had the pleasure of breaking barriers, and in the breaking barriers, it doesn't always feel good, and you never let go of the rope. And something about that, there's a stability, and it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. So um, you, you, need, you need to know that. So thank you for being you on a very serious um, reality, and then I'll joke with you later. So back to the need for dogs. Um, <laughs> One thing, talk about this one thing. That verse is like probably picture perfect to confirm with what Paul was saying in Philippians 3 of this one thing that I do. This one thing that I do, I forget what's behind. I reach forth to what's before and I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling. And, and this calling thing, this, this calling idea, um, I kind of shared how Paul had that vision where to go but that's not the high calling that he's referring to, it was this. This is the high calling, because later on he describes is to know him, the power of his resurrection. And in Bible school, that's where we usually stop because faith people don't say negative things. The power and the resurrection, but we forgot the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death even the death of the cross. And I'm hoping today when we walk away from that, that becomes just like a, a super, I can't wait to go kill this old guy thing. 
like it becomes this, this place of, oh my gosh, I could just actually bury that person. I can just go on with God. I, I'm hoping that's what that begins to look like. The, the zeal that Paul shares of, man, you know what life is like if you die? It, it is amazing. And you guys understand what I'm saying, die. We're, we're talking about our old, letting our old thought, our old mind, the thing that Jesus freed us from to, to actually let it go. And don't keep every once in a while just lifting it to make sure it's dead. Like, just let it go. And so if you will, we're going to um, move over and we're going to kind of look at this idea of living the dream and being fulfilled in what God is telling us to do. And we're going to look at it from the life of Mordecai. Because how Steve was talking about this shadow of the Old Testament, again, it's a mosaic. It's pieces of something. Jesus is the fulfillment, the full expression of what the things we can learn. But as we begin pulling pieces out and looking at it, it just adds to what Jesus is. It it brings a, a deeper thought process into that. So again, it's just a shadow, but it's important because we need the shadow so we can have something to reference back to. It's, they're called legends. And a lot of times when we think of this idea of legends or characters from the Old Testament, we, don't look, we think of a legend as someone who's just heroic or an archetype of something. But really a legend, if you look at a map, because right, we're on a journey with God, we're, we're going someplace high with him, and in that time of going high, our timeline on this earth is moving across, and we're kind of we're doing this through our journey. But on a map, there's something called a legend. And what the legend does is it marks things you will see on the map so you understand how the map works. So there might be a a little squiggly line that represents a river or or this little thing could represent uh, a road or this is like, you know, maybe it's lines on the the map that's showing the, the elevations depending on the type of map. But there's a legend that shows you how long, like the distance and all these timelines. So that's a legend. That's what these are markings of the Old Testament are similar to. Because right now, and this is what's important, there's no cookie cutter way to get to God. There's only one way to get to God, that's through Jesus. But the path is always true, but where you're at to where you're going is gonna be different for you than it is for you. There's no truth that's changing, but let's just put it this way. If I'm standing here and I need to go to that sign that's in the back and I say, hey, everyone, we're going to the sign. Well, some people are going to just filter out the side and go right there. You're going to drift to the left. You're going to drift to the right. I got to hurdle over a bunch of chairs. So to say this is how you get there, it, the, the journey of it is going to look different, but the legends don't change. The markings don't change. And the Spirit of God shows you the Spirit how to do that roadmap, how to get there. Did I just complicate that really hard? That's why when you read something in Scripture, someone's like, wow, I just, I don't see how that fully applies. I'm not talking about twisting the truth to not make it true. I'm talking about, you see the truth, but that's not really where I'm at right now. Well, it isn't where you're at now, but it may be where you're at at some point during your journey, and it's going to click and go, oh, that's what they're talking about. These are legends. And it's important to have this 
So as we're reading, not everything is the exact thing that you need for this exact moment, nor does it fit the time. But if you read it from a, a legend point of view, as someone who's marked a map, it's going to start triggering new ideas. So we know in the story of Esther, in fact, I could probably sit here and ask you guys, what's the story of Esther? And you'll probably tell it to me because you've watched the, the VeggieTales version of it. You've watched the, the live version of it. You've heard the story a thousand times. And it's always a story of Esther. And Esther's a deep, involved character in this story. But I think what's amazing about the story, it's multiple characters to get something done for something much bigger. You see, Esther has a very strategic role that it cannot be done without Esther doing her part. But it cannot be done without Mordecai doing his part. And it cannot be done without the king doing his part. And it completely could not work at all if the people don't respond in their part. See all these parts at work. And if we could see that picture, when I'm talking about there's something for you, it's so much bigger than what you're going to do tomorrow. But it is so much more simpler in, God, what do you want me to do in the next 10 minutes? It can be as simple as that in the building. It's not this big, complicated idea, but it shows the value you have to the kingdom of God. So this idea is that, hey, you know, it's just like we're all part of this big idea. Well, let me just step back and just explain what communism does. The ideas behind communism, the ideas behind Marxism, the, the ideas behind the secularized view that humanity is God itself and there is no God, is that individuals are not eternal. They're mechanisms to accomplish the eternal ideologies of them. That is why people don't have value. They're things to accomplish a bigger thing. That's why it's group identity. But you cycle through the group. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm trying to explain what satanic humanism has done to our thinking. But see, the dangerous thing to that thinking is the idea that an individual is eternal. Because what do you do with someone if an individual is eternal and the ideology is not? Well, God said you're eternal. Your individual fingerprint is valid and important in this whole process versus groupthink, just this church organization is the only thing valuable to the church. We can cycle through people, but as long as we have the organization, then we're something. That's wrong, wrong, wrong ideology. And, and Steve just explained that. It's, it's a church when we're all here. When we're not here, it's just a building. You understand? He's, he's explaining that process. I don't know why I'm sidetracking on that. Somehow you said rumble and we could say whatever we want. So there you go. <laughs> but I, I'm not trying to... I want you to understand this is, all this stuff that is satanic going on now that you see is the same playbook that has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to destroy humanity, to strip them to something lower than what God created them to be, then we buy into it and we're victims to when someone comes and says, you can do something different. Then we shift and say, well, it's not my responsibility, it's the group's responsibility. And the moment is, I can't, 
If I was Jesus, I wouldn't be able to save you. I'm not pointing my finger, but you're a great example right now because I'm looking at you. You couldn't be saved because you will never receive the need for something because it's not your problem. It's the group's problem. How satanically manipulative has it been to victimize us into something that we can't ever truly be free because then we won't recognize what we need a savior for. We've brought it to a point where I'm 39% great. I just need help. Okay, I'm gonna do my math wrong. I am, let's go, six, let's go, six, I'm 60%, let's do tens, okay? <laughs> I am 60% great, all right? But this 40% I really need a savior in. But I'm good on the 60%. So God, if you'll come in, I got the 60% handled, I just need you to come in and clean this up for it so it works in harmony with my other 60%. So God, will you come in and make my life better? And I made this statement the other night when I was speaking at another church. God didn't come to make your life better. He didn't, because he came to do what? To kill you. He did. Because he has a better life for you. He doesn't want, okay, when I say he doesn't want to be involved, he's so merciful. Man, he, every he person he healed in, 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 under Jesus' time wasn't even a believer for the most part. So he doesn't mind mercy and compassion and getting into people's lives and doing food stuff and humanitarian stuff, but don't confuse that with the mission. That's just because it's what he is. He can't help it. He can't help loving people, but don't confuse that with that's the answer for them. The answer was to let them see what they could be so they could die, so they could come into a world that's way different. Because at the end of the day, they're still gonna depart from me, I never knew you. Christianity is selective. It's open to everybody, but it is selective. We've hijacked words like kindness and compassion and love and all these things that have caused us to not be able to see what he really is. Okay, we won't go there. Let's go back to Esther. So we see this story, and we're talking about living the dream. So I want you to catch this dream. So we have Mordecai, and I want you to catch the themes of not being a victim. Because this is really important in this story, because we're very nice about this story without really catching someone who could become very bitter about what just took place. You have this nation that comes in, the people are taken captive, the Jews. Mordecai is probably second generation because they're brought in under Nebuchadnezzar, is that correct? Daniel, about that Daniel time. So Mordecai is probably second generation of that or at least a generation and a half past that point somewhere. But captive. So it's not even his own land. Captive, lost his land, brought in, but he found himself working in the king's gate. All right, so pretty good job. So he's kind of postmaster. He gets to see the news coming in and out, kind of higher position, kind of, kind of good. And 
Very interesting. I went back and was looking at this this morning, and someone brought this up. I was, we were having this conversation. It was really profound. Is I believe, Steve, under the Old Testament covenant, if a cousin, the family died, and the cousin male would take the daughter, could take as wife, could. But it's interesting, Mordecai did not. He became a father to Esther and raised her as his daughter, not as a wife. Which is very profound because he had these choices. There's, there's something very significant about Mordecai and there's this imagery of fathering that goes through this whole entire story. And so we see him, he's standing at the gates and we know the story. Um, Esther, the king, puts out a decree. Um, the first queen, not very cooperative doesn't want to make, all the men are concerned that if this, the queen can get by with telling the king, buzz off, um, all the wives are going to rebel. So let's show the world how this works. I mean, it says it in the Bible, so I'm just saying. So the queen's out. New queen's going to come in. So we, the king goes through and puts a decree, so all the young virgin women come in. And I won't go much further, because in case you need to explain this to anybody in here, but it wasn't like an honorable position like you're going to be running for uh, Miss, Miss USA or being crowned some special crowning. It wasn't like a beauty pageant. It was basically legal sex trafficking. This was a concubine that was being taken from this and is now going to be a permanent property of the king could provoke bitterness. <laughs> See, we're kind of laughing because we made the story so nice. It's not a nice story. It was the custom of the day, but it's not a nice story. So here we have Esther, and how does Mordecai say to go about it? And he's fathering her, and he's, you know, we, we see him many times. He's standing as close to get news. How's Esther doing? How's it? Like he's watching out for Esther in the limited capacity he could still watch out for Esther. But because of this relationship of this, it, it's almost like this innate, okay, Mordecai, I'll go do it. Father, I'll go do it. Because es Mordecai understands the process. And so in a way, he's fathering her to navigate this horrible thing. And immediately she finds favor with the boss, the eunuch. If you don't know what that is, go look that up, because that wouldn't be the fun position either. So he goes to the eunuch, and he, because the eunuch ain't going to have a problem with the concubine. So we have, do you realize how messy the world was that God had to navigate his people through? I mean, Daniel had a high voice for a long time. There's things that were done to people, but they never got bitter, and God remained the center, and they navigated through this that we remember them today, and they changed the world. This is amazing, and they didn't even have the Spirit of God living in them. They only had a hope of something, a barely something they could hang out into the far future, but it wasn't even their thing they had. Imagine that. But Esther found favor 
And so for a year, she goes through the process of preparations and perfuming. I have no idea what that means. I mean, I know it's a long time in the bathroom to get ready, but a year of this. <sighs> perfuming. And I'm sure there's more than several hundred of these girls doing the perfuming. <laughs> Lord in heaven, can you imagine what those windows smelt like on the outside? I mean, at some point, it's like, please. So for a year, favor though, favor. Isn't it interesting that she kept her heart in a place, we don't hear how she talks to God, but we know how she respects Mordecai. And we know how Mordecai loves her and Mordecai loves his people. So there's this, this weaving of navigation. She's not a victim. Not happy about it, but not a victim. Then we see this, this taking place and then we know about Mordecai's or then she comes in, she ends up becoming queen, she has favor with the king after a night and a half, long beauty pageant. Um, night. Are you guys catching what this does to people in our current world, that we have whole systems to rescue people out of this process, and then it's almost like we're mad with them at the, at a, and angry, and we almost fuel them to become continuing the victimization process when the thing that they need is to become free within themselves. That's a little bit more to break down. Let's, let's move forward. Now I'm gonna say, so I had a guy working with our program and his name was Q, did our video stuff and we were talking about the father and he came up and he rolled up his sleeves and he said, well, let me show you about my father. And he's slice marks up and down his arm where he had to protect himself when his dad was coming at his mom with a knife and he stood up in the middle of it and then his dad got mad at him and went after him. He said, this is just how I grew up. And at first the father thing was a bitter torment. So when I'm saying this, do you not think there's a grace and mercy to help navigate someone to safety and to get them into a place, but at some point they have to come to the place that their heart still needs Jesus because it is capable of the same evil. You guys following what I'm saying? Because people that get free from the thing, but they don't get free from the evil, end up putting the same atrocity onto someone else in a different capacity. And that's where the repeat of it starts. And I can walk through history of all the characters of what happened to them. Some became bitter, and some just owned the responsibility. It wasn't right what happened to them, but they owned something within themselves that allowed salvation to come, that they became something that changed things. That's what I mean by that. So he showed me this, but after a while being in the program and discovering what we were talking about with the Father, uh, he, he, it was about a year and a half later, he says, I'm going to go work a project with my dad. And I'm like, where did that come from? And he said, I, I come to realize my dad actually had it worse than I did. What happened to my dad when he grew up was far worse than whatever happened to me. And it wasn't that he justified that it was okay for his dad. He just realized he could outgrow that and just deal with what it was. Pretty powerful thing. So this is Mordecai and Esther living all these things out, all these chances to become victims. 
Instead, they're living the dream, right? Because Esther's living her dream. Anybody want that one? Is that the one you wrote on your card of your, man, I'm going to launch out into my future. Here's where it is. I saw Esther, man, that's the path I'm going down. King's concubine, run, you know, come on. Right? We don't think like that, but this is living a dream. Because the dream is what you are to God inside, and that is outgrowing things in around you, bringing you into places that's combining with other people, and we see a bigger effect. So now we know she has favor with the king, and what does she become? The queen of Persia. Ponder just for a moment. You go from the slave concubine girl to the queen of Persia, but you were a someone that was forced into the country through conquering a lower class person walking all the way through to the highest position in the land as a woman. The highest position. Man, that's a dream. But now we have to understand, if you don't understand the early steps, you will miss the bigger step because it feels like once we get there, I get all the perfume I want at the choice I want. And I don't have to have the eunuch bringing it to me. Right? You can shop on your own. I get to go to the mall. I get the da-da-da. I don't have someone buying my clothes for me. I get to pick them out. No, I'm just kidding. Right? But this place of comfort comes in. But if you get the first part right, that doesn't become fulfillment. You're already fulfilled because you know what your father's thinking of you during that journey. So then we see... Mordecai, you know, he, has, he, he overhears this plot against the king. He goes to Esther. There's a plot. Esther brings it in Mordecai's name, saves the king. The king writes it in his journal. Fast forward, we got Haman. He's doing all of his evil atrocities. He finally gets to be the guy in charge, and there's a king decree that people have to bow before him, but there's a guy that's not going to bow. Mordecai. Do you realize Mordecai's decision not to bow and to be secure in himself is what caused the whole problem in the kingdom to begin with? I want you to catch that. The only reason we need Esther to be queen to create, help get laws passed so there can be deliverance is because Mordecai won't bow to Haman. It is just the weirdest irony to me that you have this guy not bowing, and that is why they're going to kill all the Jews. Yet he's the one who becomes the hero in the story. But had he just not done anything, we wouldn't have to have an Esther story to begin with. And isn't that sometimes how our wonderful scholars have made the Bible? Well, if they just wouldn't have done that to begin with, we wouldn't have been in the mess. So we really don't need that book in the Old Testament because had they just not done that. Oh, we've missed something greater. All Mordecai did was expose what had already been there to truly free the people. So we know he doesn't bow. He's living his dream. Because now he is praying in sackcloth and ashes outside the gate because now his people are in jeopardy because of the decision he made. I want you to understand the weight of decisions. It was the right decision, but now he understands the decision wasn't just going to hurt him, which he was willing to face. It is now going to affect the entire nation, every Jewish person in Persia. 
living the dream. So do you not make the decision? Yeah, but see, he can't tell Esther the next thing to go do if he wasn't willing to walk in that decision. And Jesus did the same thing. And we see this in characters. It's like, but God, this isn't the dream I signed up for. This isn't really the way I was looking at trying to go after this dream. I thought I would just trust the promises and you'd give me a better house. The family would all come together. Everybody would get along. Christmas would be wonderful. Thanksgiving, everybody would even bring the right food so there was no duplicates of the same meal, right? Nobody actually burned it. You wouldn't have dried out turkey. This is what I was expecting. This is what the, the Bible promises, right? Happiness. You know, the Bible doesn't promise, it says the word happy. It doesn't promise that type of happiness. It promises joy. It promises peace. It promises all these great things that are internal that you actually don't do. It doesn't promise outcomes in the way that we want it to make us happy. It promises outcomes that make a difference for the kingdom, but it doesn't promise outcomes that are to make you happy because you should be fulfilled before the promise ever happens. Now, I'm not saying you can't share in the joy of it. I'm not sure, saying God doesn't even just do little kisses like, God, that was so cool. I've always wanted that, and you just bring it to me. That's not what I'm referring to. He loves us. I'm talking about our identity and our purpose and our passion is tied to those things. So let's move forward. And I, I love how the king honors Mordecai because in this whole thing where Haman is now plotting against Mordecai and hates Mordecai because bitterness came into Mordecai's heart. He sees a man that is confident and secure in himself and is not willing just to give of himself out of demand. And he walks honorably and he walks nobly and he sees this. He walks independent of the crowd. And it angers him to hatred. And then the king goes and has a dream. And now Haman has to parade him around on a horse honoring him for saving his life because the king couldn't sleep at night, so he decided to go read through the whole diaries of history, and he found Mordecai saved his life. So what should we do for this guy? God has an amazing sense of humor, but that's not what made Mordecai happy. It was honoring. It was pleasing, but it wasn't like, oh, finally I got justice. He was never looking for justice. Because the moment we want justice we forget that what we really need is mercy. So now we move on. Now this goes forward and we kind of know the story of Esther and she goes in and the verse in Esther's chapter four, I want you to, I want you to catch how this is read. Esther's 4.13. Ruth, first and second Samuel, first and Catherine. Esther, there it is, okay. 4.13, so Esther brings words, and I, I love this story too, because it's never really Esther and Mordecai talking, it's Esther sending a message to Mordecai, Mordecai sending a message to Esther, Esther sending a Mordecai, to, and then the king sending a message to someone, and someone else signing in the name of the king. Names, authority, con th these are important words, because this is how God works his name. He gives you authority in his name, so you deliver that name, and it's, it's like this passage of names and confidence and relationship that's going on. So Mordecai told them, 
spoke this and said, told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart. So she's, she's wondering what she should do about this matter, about all the people, the decree went out, all the people, all the Jews are going to be killed. And Mordecai told Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. She's trying to like, can I get out of this? I don't want to do this. And I said this morning, God can find someone else to do it, but it won't have your fingerprint on it. But it also brings this up. For if you remain completely silent in verse 14, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. God's going to answer this call. But you and your father's house will perish. It wasn't a threat. It was just saying, if you stand in, you're becoming part of them. You're, you're conspiring with them. See, we think sometimes if I just stay out of it, I'm not saying jump into everything. You know, if you see something, you can get yourself, a, there's some people who are just prone to get into messes because they just need to, some people need to learn to stay out of it. Some people need to learn to jump into it. And some people know, need to know when to do which. Right? So there's a time to shut up and there's a time to speak up and there's a time to navigate. All right? And there isn't one right answer to this. And each one should be doing something different at different times. Okay? But he was basically saying, you've come to a place that you just, you've already gone through kind of misery. You've already lost yourself and now you're here and you don't want to go through it again. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to lead that way. I don't want that kind of vision. I don't, I don't want that. You don't have to, but you'll perish. You see, because you're, you're agreeing with the enemy. It's not that it was a condemnation. It's just you're agreeing with the enemy. It's kind of like, well, God provides healing, and I'm sick. Oh, I know he provides, but I'm going to go, my doctor said. I know, I know he heals, but my doctor said. I know he heals, but my doctor said. It's very different than saying, I'm really new at all this, and I'm struggling believing. God help me, I just don't know another way. I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about, I kind of trust this more than I trust this. Well, God loves you. For if you remain completely signed at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows? See, I love all the plaques have this part, but they forgot that first part just before it. We love the favorite verse, actually the favorite phrase of the verse thing, but we don't like the whole thing. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Here's the bottom line, Esther. If you do this, your family's going to die, so you got to do this. But who knows? See, we think it's like, oh, I'll give you a positive caveat. No, Mordecai is saying, hey, if you die, you die. But you got to do the right thing here. But who knows, Esther? Maybe there's even something greater behind all this. See, Mordecai had already made the decision. He was already telling Esther to make the decision. And it's kind of like that with God. It's like, man, he's done so much for us. His mercy, what he's done for us, like, man, it, it's for God. I guess we do that. Oh, and by the way, he has all these benefits. What? We had a, one of the guys in our program who actually started our fellowship. His name is Dow. 
And he came, he said, I want to know God as a father. That's what stirred the whole thing. He's been with us for like eight years. It's like, geez, it's taking you eight years to come to that place? We only talk about it all the time. He just wanted to see it, and he wanted to touch it and handle it and try to get a concept. He's Buddhist, and it's going to cost him his family. So we go through this whole process. Amazing story. But it's interesting why he wanted to know God. It wasn't so he could make more money. It wasn't to heal something. It wasn't for forgiveness of sins. It wasn't heaven. He didn't even know about those things. What he wanted was he was running his dad's business. His stepdad had passed away. His real dad is in prison. And now he has this business that's required to take care of his family. But him being younger, nobody wanted to work. His mechanic shop that his father used to use. So he didn't want to lose those customers to hurt his family. So he said, I just want God to give me the wisdom to show me how to solve the customer's problems. Like, well, we could do that. And man, he'll go out to the work site and he'll just start praying, God, how do I fix this? And so it's heavy machinery and they wear everything out to nubs. So you have to manufacture every single part to fix something. And you have to go look and then he has to get the specs and figure it out and figure out what kind of part will work. And then he has to go back to the shop and machine it and bring it back out. And God starts showing him how to machine the parts. And all of a sudden all the customers started staying because they realized he could figure out all these problems because God was with them. And then all of a sudden he realized God forgives sins. You mean there's heaven, there's eternity, there's all this stuff. It's like, wow, this is awesome. That, that's what I think this story is saying. I could be wrong, it's Brian's opinion. A couple holes, it's like a nose. There's always a couple holes in it. I'm just saying, I think there's something more to this than just always looking for this shazam bam in a decision. What if there's not one, but it's just right? Okay. So she sent back a message. So she goes through the process. We know the story. Haman ends up getting killed, hung on the gallows. All that happens, but the people are still lost out there. So we have Mordecai doing his dream. We have Esther doing her dream. Now it's time for the people to be involved with the dream. Now, wouldn't you love if the king just rewrote the law and said, we're scratching that one. That one's gone. No more. This date is off. You can't kill the Jews on that certain day. It's over. But the king and that the Medes and the Persians and the culture valued words so much, you don't take, pack, take back a, t a king's decree. You can't take it back. This is powerful truth because God doesn't take back his words either. He didn't remove the law because he got done with it. Gravity still exists, but if you, have, if you understand the laws of aerodynamics, what does it do? It overrides the laws of gravity. A new law was written, so the king made Mordecai the chief guy in charge of all of Persia, the greatest kingdom on the planet. It was the kingdom that drove out Buddha from the Tibetan area of the world of why he ran, because he was supposed to be the next king of his father's house, but he takes off because Persia is creeping into that area. It's very interesting in history how this plays out. So we see Mordecai is now the guy. And he writes a decree. So rather than you can't get rid of the old law, he gives a better law. You can stand up and fight for yourself. Think about that for a moment. 
did Jesus not come? I'm going to come and give you authority now. I'm going to give you the power under his name. So under the king's decree, the people had the power to defend themselves. In fact, if they found out anybody, they could actually go kill the people, all their stuff, and take all their goods. But it's not important about what the detail is of that. I want you to see something really important here. God gave something better than deliverance to the Jews. He gave them responsibility. That went over well. That is the definition of freedom. That is true belief in something. They trusted the people will rise, and they did. Not one of the Jews were killed. And 75,000 of the Persians that tried to rise up against them were killed. By a simple decree, this is what I think about you. This is what I believe about you. But the people had to respond. And these three things are going on at the same time. This is such an amazing thing. Now, how much more does Jesus come to us Give us his life. Sacrifice it. Say, it's greater things will you do than me because I go to the Father. I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to give you my name and I'm going to give you my signet ring and I'm going to let you sign things in my name to the Father and I'm going to give you a different robe of righteousness that it's going to be recognized in the spirit realm who you are so now you can go make new decrees but Mordecai didn't just sit back and go, oh, finally I arrived. I've been work I have worked 25 years to get to this position and I finally made it. Mordecai was always in that position. And he kept living that. It's an amazing thing. That's the fulfillment of the dream. Now everything you do is an adventure and means something. And you can see in this picture all these hard decisions that had to be made. And it changed everything. And look how God was working behind the scenes. And he, when they stood up and they said no and they honored God and they did those things, God's favor was found within the circles they thought were against them. It has been amazing to watch officials help us navigate. And just because we're connected, they kind of make things work on our behalf. But if you're just to go in as someone trying to make them do it or hey, you owe me, I'm this type of person, that you're not getting it done. It won't happen. There's something about this favor, but it's not that you're vulnerable to them, it's because you only were pursuing God all along, and he was working things, and all you're doing is just being you. Mordecai was just being Mordecai, and Esther was just being Esther. What they really did is they taught the people how to be the people. That's what they did. And that changes things. And that's what's in this room. And I really want to catch it. We, we, I, could, I could go through every single character, not tonight, obviously. It is amazing watching this, this combination of God. And, and you guys are so free from knowing that God doesn't just do things. Oh, they prayed. Okay, heaven, let's go take care of that for him. All right, you're free from that. No, he's always trying to come and empower the individual to, to stand up and, and to rise up and to, look, this is what I'm going to give you. You're greater than what your enemy is. If you could just see it. I mean, remember when the people were going in the promised land? 
children of Israel? Well, they didn't go because it took them 40 years. And by the way, God wasn't teaching them something in the wilderness. He basically was saying, I'm done with you in the wilderness. So when people say, hey, I'm just in that wilderness time in life. Oh, so you're an unbeliever. Okay, maybe don't say it quite like that. <laughs> Steve can say it like that. I can't. But basically, they're, they're just basically saying, oh, so you've, you basically said God wasn't true. But he loves you enough to keep you alive. So we'll bring your kids in. But you guys are not ever experiencing what I'm trying to give you. Okay, so that's the wilderness time. But if you remember, even Rahab, when they came, the fear of the God of the Israelites overwhelmed the promised land. They were terrified of this God that parted the Red Sea. The Israelites are like, ah, and they don't even realize that the world was going, ah, like it was a bigger yell. They're whining, they're screaming. And God's going, my gosh, what do I have to do? <laughs> Moses, just kill them all. We'll start over. I know I'm a God of love. Just get rid of them. I can't take it anymore. It actually was one point that God, Moses said, well, wait a second. If you do that, they're going to say you can't actually care for your own people. All right, but they're not going in the promised land, so here's what we're going to do. There comes a point of hardness of heart. It's not that God doesn't love. He can do nothing with it. And the reason I'm sharing through these stories, I, I want you to walk away with this, is that we said this morning, is that the mountain you face in life or the obstacle you face in life and the way you think you need to go about facing it, you don't have to look at it from how you used to know. Just start making God big and let him speak to you of what you really are. And quit saying, no, that's not true about me. No, that's not true about me. He's not talking to your old you. That's dead. He's talking to the real you, and as he speaks, let that start emerging, and new ideas come. Quick little practical thing. Psalms 1, very first psalm, meditate on the word day and night, and you'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and whatever it does will prosper. How do you meditate day and night? When I was, me and my wife had moved to uh, Phoenix. We just started a business, recruiting, and what a great job to pick when you're terrified of talking to people on the phone. And um, start this business, and it's not going real well, but we knew to do it. It was what we knew. Here's the thing, guys. It may have been the wrong decision at the time. It's just what I knew. See, there's things that's just what you know, so just give yourself to it, and God will navigate you out of it. So you, you'll look back and go, yeah, I'll probably never pick that job again. But it's the job you pick now, or it's the thing you pick now. It's just where you're at. So from that place, so God, what do I do? And all of a sudden now rent's coming up due, and we have no contracts coming in, and even if I close a deal, it's like two months before you actually get paid. And it's like, man, the stress is starting to hit, and I, I'm new to all this stuff, and I had never been doing something like this before, and I'm thinking about, I'm a new husband, and I'm my wife, this is what my wife gets to experience with me, and the stress unbelievably overwhelmed till I couldn't think anymore. And I remember sitting at my desk, and my phone rings. And I just pick it up, I heard my friend on the other land, so I hung up. <laughs> you know when you don't want to be encouraged? But you really do, but 
please do it somewhere else. Don't make me respond to this. And so Valerie asked how I was doing, and she saw this big red mark across the wall, which was the Bible that had skid across the wall, because that was not working. I looked at every magic formula I could find, and I was looking for the Harry Potter potions to make this thing work. And by the way, I deliberately call them that because that is what we're trying to do with it at times. And so we're looking for this magic formula, and it's not working. I don't get it. I don't know how to get enough faith. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Da-da-da-da-da. I'm working, 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 right? And that's what I'm supposed to be dying to, but I have no idea what to do. It's a mess. 35 minutes. This was pre-Google. The guy who's a friend, man of God, but spent 20 years in prison, so his navigation skills would be pre-Google. Maps wasn't really great. He found our house. I have no idea how he found our house, but he found our house. I have a feeling there were some U-turns and some special words that he learned in prison on the way to the house, but he found it. And when he got to the door, I don't remember what he said. I can't, he wasn't there more than 15 minutes. It wasn't, it was like this little gap of time. I don't even know what he said. All of a sudden, he just said, you know, I've just admired you so much of how you could go start a business like this. He has no idea what the problem is. He just knows there's a problem. And he just spoke and says, man, you, I so admire you. Man, I believe in you. Man, and he just prayed over us, didn't offer us a thing. And this belief didn't even come from him. I have never felt God just grab you and just stand you up like a man. And then he left and something broke off. He didn't pray to break it off. He didn't even have a special deliverance service. By the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a much faster way. If you just speak to the heart of the person, it's much easier to clear off the clutter, right? If you just pour the milk into the thing, doesn't the cream just rise to the top? So just fill it with the milk and then wipe off the cream versus trying to find the cream in the milk. Is that a fair way? Okay. And, and it changed everything, so here's what I did. So that's great, that's the starting point. So now, okay, there's some hope, hope came. But, but now where do you go? Okay, that doesn't solve the problems, but I'm not losing my mind. So where's hope come from? And I remember just taking a card to counter every thought. And I, just, I didn't make it big. I just had a little post-it note card. By the way, this isn't a formula. It does work really good, though. It's not a formula. I just had to find a way that every time the thought was, you're going to be buried. You're going to be destroyed. I'm going to expose how much of an incompetent person you are. Like every time that just hit me and would just overwhelm and strip, I would just get the card and I would just read that card. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I am his anointed. The Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will remember the Lord our God. I remember these verses. I read these things. Eight hours that next day, because I was constantly up doing this, because that's all that was going through my head. And so I just wouldn't let it go through my head, and I read it as loud as I could, and I wasn't doing confessions. I really didn't know about confessions. I just knew I had to do something that was louder to the truth, and by the third day, I went to sleep at night, and this card just zing, zing, zing. There was no space in my brain for anything else but this card. And within three or four days, 
Something happened. Remember, I went for a drive. I came back home. The moment my car tires turned into the driveway of that apartment in Phoenix, Arizona, I remember the moment that tire hit that curb, I got an answer. Here's what you need to do to fix your business. And I came in and I said, it'll take two weeks. Give me two weeks. This is going to all change. In two weeks, God gave me this idea to communicate what we were doing as a business in a way that I, I'm good at. I'm not good at the phone thing, but I was good at new technology. And all of a sudden, I found a way to get to these things, and we got Amazon as a customer. We got all these customers, and it changed. It changed. And somehow the rent came, like, it all changed. The problems were all there, but I changed to the problem and ideas started to flow and the creativity and the answers and it was all God. It was the most amazing experience. That's what I'm meaning by there's something bigger in you. So now when those things hit, I know what to go do. And sometimes God gives you different answers, but I know when I'm feeling down, I first got to get up. Then God, what's the creative place? What happens? That was in Mordecai. That's what he passed on to Esther. And that's what the people finally got. They were empowered by the words of the king. And it changed everything. That's living the dream. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.